Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Chatter. This week, we are joined by a remarkable woman called Geraldine Kostrua, who has grown a huge following on social media by sharing her experiences of being a parent, a mother with ADHD. Geraldine, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks so much for welcoming me on your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for taking time out. It's um, it's one of the topics that I've been requested, so I'm super excited. I think there's going to be a lot of relatability and a lot of value. I always try and create a an arc, and if we were to t- jump in a time machine and go back to your childhood, but way before parenting, and to see how ADHD showed up in your life, how would you describe yourself as a child? Oh God, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I think, well, I initially, I think it's probably important to mention, I initially was diagnosed as a child with ADHD um, at around the age of six or seven, but I actually didn't find out about that diagnosis until I was 23 and in university and I started to ask some questions. Um, But basically the way it showed up in childhood was um, one of the biggest points is I've always been an excessive talker. I'd often mm. overshare and I'd get told off for, you know, sharing bits of our private life um, to sometimes strangers. <laughs> um, but then on top of that, I also used to be very, very daydreamy. Um, so that was picked up uh, in primary school that I'd often doodle along in my book and I'd start to kind of draw or zone out. And then when I was asked, you know, to repeat what the question was, I often was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was so much so to the point that, you know, teachers were getting concerned about my ability to focus on, you know, what was being taught. And truthfully, I did zone out a lot. Um, And often that was kind of unintentional and it still is the case now to this date that I'll um, try very intently to focus on a conversation, on a topic, on even classes when I was in university. But somehow I found myself just zoning out and thinking about, I don't know, what I was going to do after class, for example, or the conversation that I had yesterday or thinking about... I don't know why all the facts about elephants, for example, something completely unrelated um, or seemingly unrelated. But a lot of the times my mind would just go 100 mile, 180 miles per hour, still does. And I seemingly come up with somehow unrelated topics. Well, they seem unrelated, but to me they are related because I go from one topic to another, to another, to another. And then I blurt that out and people are like, what are you on about? (laughs) Why are you thinking about those things? (laughs) And yeah, so that was always the case. Um, I also was um, 
not so much disruptive per se, um, but I was disruptive in the sense that I would often be chatting. <laughs> I would start to kind of, you know, get distracted by things that I was more interested in than the topic that I was that was discussed. Um, so I actually even remember there was a time where I was in class and I started to paint um, my hands with like you know coloring pencils and then I started to draw on my face with those and then I involved my classmate um, who was sitting next to me and we started to draw on each other's faces um, <laughs> and so those kind of things were quite a frequent occurrence uh, and I was often sent out of class for that because obviously I was disrupting the learning opportunities that other students had by coming up with alternate activities <laughs> as you might say gosh yes yeah there's so much relatability there and I, I can see myself in some of what you said and, and and others not so much but generally I think there's a lot of relatability there did you say that you got you got a diagnosis but then it was kept from you yes yeah um, so, and then I don't think, you know, any harm was meant, um, but obviously I retrospectively, I would have loved to have known it earlier. <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, I was, um, assessed and diagnosed with ADHD at the age of six or seven. Um, I was treated medically, um, with, you know, medications at that point. And then I don't know how long I took these pills for. Um, at some point, um, they were stopped because basically my dad, bless him, he came across this book um, or this research that basically stated that ADHD was just made up for the benefits of the pharma industry. And obviously he therefore didn't want to put unnecessary drugs um, mm. in his mind into you know his daughter's body. So um, yeah that diagnosis then was completely disregarded therefore and it was never brought up again so that was in Switzerland we moved around quite a bit back then there were still paper notes so anything that wasn't brought up by my parents wouldn't be mentioned again um so yeah we we moved from Switzerland back to Germany and um yeah that that diagnosis got kind of lost when you when you found out about the diagnosis um how old did you say you were again uh, about 23 i believe so when you found yeah. at 23 when you found out did you how did you feel big big mix of emotions to be honest it was actually a weird sense of weight off of my shoulders um it was a weird sense of relief but at the same time there was also some frustration and anger it was a big big mix <laughs> to be honest i i looked it up and i suddenly felt so heard and seen I could relate to so many of the difficulties. I mean, going back to how it affected me as a child, I also used to often forget about, you know, very, very important materials. I used to forget homework. I used to forget assignments, um, exams. <laughs> I used to forget, um, you know, school books, pencils, um, writing materials such as, you know, uh, little notebooks. And I had to borrow them from other students. And I was in detention a lot of the times, therefore. I also ate in classroom, <laughs> you know, those sort of things. And uh, yeah, uh, so basically when I found out and I looked it up, um, I suddenly felt like, oh my God, all these difficulties that I've had all my life suddenly have a reason. Mm. Um, it didn't, it felt like some, there was a sense of validation in there as well, I guess. Because um, I always felt like I was trying so, so hard to, you know, do as well as everyone else seemingly was able to get through life. And I always felt like I was falling short, no matter what I tried. It's such a common thread of everything you just said. I, you know, it's, it's you hear it so often, particularly amongst women with undiagnosed ADHD, that just not knowing why you struggle with certain things that some, everyone else just seems to be able to do. And I got anxiety just listening to you r repeat some of those stuff from, from your earlier years because I, I could see those in me. Um, and then you get that diagnosis and you're just that relief, that the, the shame lifts a little bit and, and you, you get that validation and understanding. Absolutely. I, I do have to say I sort of um, then almost 
I disregarded the diagnosis myself for a little bit after I found out because I was like, well, I'm in university now, so obviously I did all right. <laughs> it must have not impacted me that much, surely. And um, yeah, well, until I actually looked into it after I became a mum. But I'm sure we'll get through to that point. <laughs> what, what age did you become a mother? I was... 24 just about just before 20, turning 25 um yeah so a month a month or so later yeah exactly a month after I became a mum I turned 25. With ADHD mm-hmm. and from what I've read the hormones throughout the the menstrual cycle can can really amplify traits yeah is that something you relate to? Absolutely yeah um and I, I actually didn't um, noticed the correlation or, or well I noticed there was something off <laughs> um, but I didn't realize that there was a correlation up until actually a few months ago when I started to research you know how hormones affected ADHD symptoms um, a lot of the times actually the the reason why ADHD well ADHD symptoms are often amplified during certain times of the menstrual cycle um, because of a hormone drop and then some hormones rise and in neurotypical people that can often then um, result in you know some ADHD like symptoms in the sense that you know they have more irritability they are more forgetful for example they're more kind of dysregulated Um, you know there's a lot of sort of different things um, that pop up uh, in neurotypical women already but if you have ADHD on top, um, those symptoms are obviously going to be then amplified. Mm. How did that manifest throughout the pregnancy? In pregnancy, <laughs> I'm having to laugh because I just wanted to start off. It wasn't that bad. And then I just caught myself. And um, yeah, I had, um, I think a lot of people put it down as, you know, mum brain. <laughs> or baby brain um but I had it very very bad Mm. uh there was one case um that I very vividly remember my partner had gone off to uh, Australia to be the best man of a wedding for his um, best mate who lives in Australia now and I was about 14 weeks pregnant or something (laughs) and so quite early on and uh I I don't know what I was trying to do. I think I was trying to lock the garden door, so the, the door to the garden, and I couldn't lock it. And I was really like, I was getting very dysregulated because I was thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm alone, you know, I'm pregnant. I don't want to like be here without the garden door being locked, especially as we had in that house one instance where randomly a stranger came into our garden at night at 2 a.m. Mm. So <laughs> I was like, Gosh. I don't want that to happen when <laughs> when I'm on my own. Anyway, so I would, I would try desperately to lock that door and I couldn't lock it. And so I called my partner who was in Australia. I was like, I don't know what to do, <laughs> you know, crying and all that stuff. And so bless him. He then um, called his dad who, you know, is, he does a lot of property management. Uh, so he's, he's well equipped to help me out to hopefully, you know, lock the door or do something. And um, so he drives over about an hour or so, hour and a half. And then he comes over and he's like, did you try the right key? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He's like, is that the right key? And I was like, I'm pretty sure it is. And he was like, what about that key just there? <laughs> and I just completely didn't even see that. I didn't think about that. I didn't see it. I was just like, yeah. And, um, you know, lo and behold, that was the right key then. Uh, that mm. just led in the corner that I didn't see. So, yeah. I was going to ask you what, um, what, what did you call it? Is it mum for pregnancy fog? Brain mum fog? brain. Mum brain. brain. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you what, what baby brain is, but I think you've, you've explained it through a story. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically forgetfulness, inattention. Um, mm. That is often, you know, seen in pregnant women. And obviously, if you've got ADHD, that's, again, going to be a little bit more amplified. And although that's a funny story, and, and, um, and it, is there some sh- shame and sort of 
you lose a bit of confidence if, if, if that kind of activity happens often enough because you Absolutely. lose confidence in your ability to 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 keep yourself safe and to do again what is would be considered a basic task lock the back gate but if you if you forget it or you don't do it, or you, in your case you know just choose the wrong key over time does that lead to an amplification of of some of the the, the, the comorbidities of adhd i definitely feel that to be the case um especially you know there's been studies done um showing that neurodivergent people hear over 20,000 more negative comments up until before the age of 12 compared to neurotypical children so that's a lot more negative comment that we already get you know in in those early years and I do feel that um, those moments, if they happen a lot, which are which is the case with ADHD, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the times people might comment and be like, "Oh, this is just a normal thing to happen," but with ADHD, those sort of issues or difficulties that you have, they will often appear often. <laughs> so um, sometimes, you know, so multiple times a day, sometimes every day, you know, um, and if they happen if those difficulties appear often enough they will start to impact on your confidence on your mental health you know you're going to start to try and mask those difficulties Um, so often women with ADHD will be masking from a very young age because you know that's so that's expected of them um, from society uh, to behave in a certain way so we often start to mask hyperactivity early on you know so that we're not disruptive and you know there's there's a lot of different things that we'll be masking and masking is not just even um, not showing the difficulties that you have it's often also internalizing those difficulties so there's something um to be said about hyperactive brains so internalized hyperactivity is you know where your thoughts just go mental basically <laughs> they're like 180 miles per hour um jumping from subject to subject with uh, multiple overlaying thought streams at the same time and also then trying to make up for difficulties that you've had before by for example pulling an all-nighter so that you can you know do your homework or get studied for the exam because you forgot it up until that night before the exam is due or the assignment is due and if you forget a lot of the of a lot of the important things or you're late a lot like I was I was always late by the way (laughs) which I also got uh, told off a lot for in school and university, actually. Um, you also get start to become known as the person who's always late, who's forgetful, who's a bit, you know, all over the place. And people will joke about that. And I know they probably don't mean any harm. But if you hear jokes often enough, you start to believe them. Mm, it, goes, it goes back to that, that reinforced negativity. Yeah. I can leave the washing in the in the machine and forget about it and and it's funny you know you do it a couple of times and it's funny but if you do it often enough then you question your ability and you could stub your toe on the table you know and and that could be the tipping point that could make you burst into tears in the middle of your living room because it's just that to anyone to someone else it might just be a little thing and a slight annoyance but for someone with ADHD it could be that bit that is just that extra reinforcement of why can't I just function absolutely and I had that exactly that thought so many times up until I realized you know what ADHD actually entailed um and you know I had my own kind of preconceptions about ADHD and I think I also misunderstood a bit about you know what ADHD would be like especially as an adult or as a woman and I I blame myself a lot for, you know, different mistakes or things that people would see as careless. I mean, I lost so, so many things, um, things that were important to me. And I was always told, you know, why are you so careless? Don't you even care? <laughs> and and those things hurt because you are distressed by you losing those things because you didn't want to lose them either. You wanted you you 
probably tried everything that you could not to lose them and somehow you still end up losing them because some things are unfortunately a little bit out of your control when you have ADHD. It's so relatable and um, just hearing you say you 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 lose certain things I think I you know I have a dog and I have to I always worry that I've left the flat door open and oh God, I, yeah. I can because I've done it in the past mm-hmm. uh, and but you know there's a real consequence if I have if that happens again you know the dog runs out could get hit by a car so yeah. if I don't if I'm not 100% sure that I've locked that front door it will really ruin my day because I I have to know do you know that that kind of reminds me of a situation that I had just a few months ago it was horrific and I hadn't I I haven't even spoken about it on my social media because I was like um yeah just just a bit distraught and I, I felt so ashamed by it as well um it was just my daughter had learned how to open the door <laughs> um and that wasn't the thing that she used to do before and I was just getting ready and putting my makeup on etc my partner had said he was going to meet us at a restaurant um so he left already and my daughter heard that and she thought he was there um, at the car waiting for her so she opened the door ran out i was doing my makeup and i twigged that i could hear you know birds chirping quite loudly so i ran downstairs noticing the door was open my daughter not there so i ran outside luckily she wasn't far because the car had just been parked outside our house so she was next to the car so i bring her in i was like shaking (laughs) i was like oh my god how did how did that even happen you know and um and then after i was like trying to regulate myself again about 30 minutes later i realized where is our dog we have a dog where is she <laughs> right okay and um yeah she she had gone out after um my daughter had gone out and um so we we had to search her for the next two hours i was crying shaking i felt so bad so so bad because i was like this is something i should have noticed it's something i should have you know prevented it's yeah um luckily our dog was found apparently very quickly after she'd run out and was brought to a vet nearby and she was loving life <laughs> she was great um so luckily that story has a happy ending but yeah it's, it's just um how inattention can often also impact um in day-to-day life uh, when it's a bit more serious i'm so pleased that story had a happy ending i can't imagine uh, how i would feel if if something happened to to, for my dog you know in a similar situation but I think it 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 brings back to the the point is that you're suddenly when you're a parent not just responsible for your own safety and your own well yeah. well-being suddenly you're responsible for for someone else's safety and well-being and I many people if you do sometimes struggle with looking after yourself having the having to look after someone else suddenly I imagine brings a whole load of challenges with it yeah absolutely and because my my daughter is always sort of the main focus I used to say um after I was relatively newly after I became a parent and before I kind of learned even more about ADHD I used to say that that part that used to be fine with having ADHD slash the part that was there to mask my ADHD and to get by in life suddenly was so preoccupied by everything um, child related and everything mum related and I suddenly felt I was unable to mask anymore I was unable to kind of you know do those things that meant I could still be on time for example or could still get a project done even when I hyper focused on the wrong things for hours and you know because often I would just then do work late in the evening to try and catch up on things Um, And that suddenly wasn't possible anymore. There was a lot of things that suddenly weren't possible anymore because that part of my brain was now, yeah, preoccupied with everything parenting related. When you're having to look after a child, is it possible to burn out as a parent? And what I mean by that is you, when you have a, and I'm just speaking from someone who isn't a parent, so to just stop me if I say something completely ridiculous but if, if you have a child I imagine there's you know you, there's peaks and troughs of mm-hmm. 
and I'm relating it to the ADHD brand brain peaks and troughs of the the reward that you get from any situation so when you're looking after a young human being is there uh, is there is it potentially the danger of getting into a situation where you're burnt out as a parent absolutely yeah I think as well as women with ADHD we are very prone to becoming perfectionists because of all the mistakes and things that were brought up in our early years Um, so we become almost obsessive over trying to get everything right and that for me included also everything parenting related so I obsessed over parenting research you know I googled the smallest things because I wanted to get everything right and I know probably every parent sort of feels that way nobody wants to mess up as a parent but it became it became so much that I I neglected my own needs Um, because I was so focused on trying to get everything exactly right. And I, that's kind of when my mental health just took a deep dive. (laughs) And I just was in a constant state of overwhelm, overstimulation. I felt, yeah, um, burnt out. I think that Mm. is exactly the right way to put it. It must be quite confusing for the child where there's value in being consistent I imagine a child benefits from a a consistent environment a a consistent response to behavior Um, consistent routines consistent bedtimes for example and I imagine there's a contradiction there between I, I just would think if I were to become a parent I can imagine the situations that I might do that might contradict that requirement for consistency do you do you do you see what I mean by that absolutely um the again the issue that I specifically had I was a little bit too perfectionist so I did actually I had little apps that would tell me exactly you know when was it feeding time uh, you know for breastfeeding back then um or when was it time to kind of make meals and it was I was obsessing over it so much because I knew of the difficulties that I'd have for myself to uphold routines that it inhibited me from, you know, seeing friends, um, from being social. I would often not leave the house because I was like, right, she has to nap at this certain time until then, because otherwise, you know, I'm gonna, this is not going to be good. And I, it, it, it became very anxiety inducing almost um so yeah i did i did uh have a lot of issues with anxiety um after i became a mum um i almost went into a little bit of a well i thought actually i had postpartum depression and anxiety but the problem was i couldn't really relate with some bits of the postpartum anxiety and some bits of the postpartum depression until i found out afterwards retrospectively that that was all because it was actually ADHD related and more like an ADHD um, burnout (laughs) rather than Mm. it being actually postpartum anxiety or depression as such. Um, I got seen by a therapist um, because it got, I I, I was just really, really low. (laughs) And um, I was lucky enough to at some point have received uh, intensive CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety with ADHD. So I was sure to bring up that I had ADHD um, and that surely changed my life <laughs> in the in a positive way. It, it massively, massively improved my mental health and allowed me to then actually look up more about ADHD and how it impacted me. It allowed me to accept my diagnosis. It allowed me to accept how much ADHD was impacting my everyday life. And then from there on, I was able to let go of some of the guilt and shame and restrictions that are placed upon myself and that kind of perfectionistic behavior, I guess, um, which, you know, resulted in a lot of anxiety isolation and knock-on mental health difficulties i think that's going to be so helpful for a lot of women and parents listening with with cbt therapy what does that Mm -hmm. actually involve it's all about sort of changing your ways about looking um, at a certain situation and I know some people with ADHD don't find it very helpful Um, I had to have two different therapists I had first you know normal CBT um, which didn't 
help me at all. <laughs> um, if anything, I felt like I was feeling a bit worse. And then I had this amazing therapist who did it in- intensively because she was like, I know you're a little bit more complex. <laughs> and so she was more experienced. And I think she was able to kind of relay things to me in a way that kind of made my brain click a little bit. Um, so we tackled a lot like things such as rumination. I used to ruminate a lot about certain situations that didn't go right. Because as um, neurodivergent people, we are often our brains are so wired to problem solve everything. And if there's a situation that went wrong, I often would ruminate over them and think about, you know, how else should I react it? What else should I have said? And it became, um, it went then into the anxiety bit where I then started to think about worst case scenarios and what what would happen if I didn't do X, Y, Z to solve this perceived issue. And I know a lot of that had to do again with rejection sensitive dysphoria as well. But yeah, just kind of unlearning learned behaviors that were actually not very helpful at all Mm. such as those rumination things and trying to solve things or fix problems that weren't actually there yet and um my therapist actually at the time she she kind of um told me that a lot of the times we the anxiety stays around or those kind of ruminating thoughts because we do things that we believe makes then therefore these sort of thoughts helpful um, because we react to them, right? Um, so yeah, she kind of challenged me to get out of my comfort zone, to do things that were anxiety inducing, to do, to stop doing things to, in an, in an attempt to prevent certain things from happening, to be like, look, did you see nothing bad happened when you didn't say Hey, I'm sorry about the conversation earlier. I may maybe I've overshared, <laughs> you know, those sort of things. Mm. Um, and she also kind of taught me that it's not my sole responsibility to fix somebody else's problem. If they're having a problem with me, it should be also up to them to come to me <laughs> and tell me. And that was something that I don't know, for some reason I thought to myself that was all up to me. <laughs> that sounds so powerful. And having that person, in your case, a therapist, to help you with that sort of unraveling process and building that self-awareness to, I can see how that could just turn the pressure taps off a little bit and just alleviate some of that. You mentioned RSD, rejection sensitive dysphoria, and and how, how does being a parent and RSD, I suppose, clash Well, it's a very, very good question. It can be in multiple different ways. I remember thinking right after I became a parent that I had this wonderful little child and I often looked at everyone else interacting with her and I felt like I wasn't quite good enough. Um, I wanted to, you know, be the 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 best person possible for her. But then later on, obviously, when she was a little bit older... um, I became very hurt if she expressed, um, you know, wanting to be just with her dad, for example, or with somebody else. And uh, yeah, that was something that I definitely had to work on because I knew she loves me. No matter what, I'm her mum. There's no way that she doesn't love me at all times. It was just kind of getting my head around letting go of that kind of almost, I guess, control as well. Um, and having to be the, per- the, the, the favorite at all times. Um, I think that was, that was my issue. Um, I wanted to kind of prevent rejection from her, if that makes sense, um, to a certain point. It makes total sense. I yeah. think the, the thing I would worry about if I were to become a parent is the response that I can sometimes uh, go into during a episode of RSD and and exposing the child to the rage that might come out of an episode um, shouting at the child or them seeing me shouting at someone else or just the the shutdown so I 
again from someone who isn't a parent is that something that is a, is a worry Absolutely. Um, I actually went exactly the opposite direction because I had a lot of those kind of issues as a child, um, as a teenager. You know, I my my emotions were very, very dysregulated. They still are, um, but I intensively looked into gentle parenting, therefore, um, which actually involved having to reparent myself and learning myself coping strategies uh, to cope with, um, I mean, quote unquote, difficult behaviours. None of the feelings are difficult. Um, Often just we have unhelpful learned coping strategies. And um, I it was it was a long process it's not something that can be learned you know from today to tomorrow it was a big learning curve I've made you know I did have a period where I I was so so angry um a lot of the times I never let it out at my daughter because again I was like being that perfectionist I was trying to follow the gentle parenting whereas it's like you know no no shouting you try and be calm but if you're internally raging somewhere, that's going to come out. And sometimes I, unfortunately, I let it out at my partner, you know, I let it out at my dog um, or, you know, I threw pillows or, you know, hit pillows, those sort of things to try and let out that rage. And it was something that I felt very, very ashamed of um, until I kind of try started to, to learn better coping strategies and learning how to reparent myself in those moments and that often looks like um validating your feelings and uh, that was a very very big one because i think a lot of us are taught that those sort of emotions such as anger sadness even to a point they are overreactions you shouldn't feel that way you know stop being angry stop crying those sort of things and when you reparent yourself you start telling yourself that it's okay to feel angry it's absolutely understandable to feel angry in this point it's okay to feel frustrated it's okay to feel that sort of tension you know and actually allow that and then kind of reframe it and be like okay what if if I was my daughter for example right now what would I tell her if she was angry what could she do to help with her anger and I started to find some coping strategies that were going outside the room when I felt that anger, that rage coming up, um, going out and kind of just shutting a little bit those sensory, that, that additional overstimulation that could obviously often intensify that, those feelings, um, shutting that off. Breathing, I, I practiced a lot, a lot of mindfulness. It was like kind of um, almost like a sensory reset. Um, of you know trying to focus intently on all the different things that you could hear without labeling them because actually when you label what you hear um, a lot of the times we subconsciously uh, assign judgments and feelings to those so when you really practice that um, you learn to just be present and you know let everything just just be uh, which is very very difficult Uh, again didn't happen from you know, within one day, not even within a week. It's still a learning curve up until this point. Quite happy, relatively happy now with how I manage my dysregulation. But do I still get dysregulated? Absolutely, a lot. Um, It's just about finding the ways or the things that can help you with coping that without, you know, harming objects that mean a lot to you or without, you know, hurting somebody else's feelings. Gosh, you, you, I got lost in, in that. That was fascinating. Sorry. Thank you for sh- no, no, that was wonderful. I, um, I was listening intently. And um, yeah, there's, a, there's so much in there. I think you've, you've, the, the emotional dysregulation is, is such a broad topic. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. of the people who perhaps aren't aware that they have it, if that's the right phrase, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much, and, and maybe that presents additional challenges of a parent that, maybe isn't even aware that they have ADHD but they have the emotional dysregulation and all of the all of the stuff that goes with that so I suppose my my question is if is there anything somebody who might be listening who what could they watch out for signs perhaps Mm -hmm. of 
maybe undiagnosed ADHD in a parent? Oh, there's a lot of different things. Um, I think a, a big, big one is struggling to manage household chores and tasks. I mean, that's difficult anyway when you have ADHD. When you become a parent, it's a whole new level. <laughs> um, you know, keeping on top of tasks such as laundry and doing the shopping, the groceries, making meal plan choices, those sort of things, they suddenly become overwhelmingly hard um often i i leave the laundry until there's uh, the the urgency to do it because there's no fresh pair of underwear to wear for example you know and then i'm i'm like oh my god i've got like five piles of laundry today um so there's with that comes then the the very frequent feeling of feeling overstimulated and overwhelmed um i would say that is a big one to look out for um it certainly affected me a lot um unknowingly um and that feeling of overstimulation that i'm talking about which often then you know triggers the emotional dysregulation can sometimes feel like a staggering feeling or intensifying feeling of uh, tension um sometimes i feel like you know little bits of pieces such as different noises different you know uh, visual stimuli for example that i've got in my head different things to keep it on top of they would mount to this internal tension and pressure until it's at some point just boils over um you know just one little thing it can trip it over um for example i don't know technology not working and i could be you know um there's a lot more things obviously um that i'd watch out for such as feeling anxious being that sort of um, that that perfectionist um, forgetting um, things important things such as appointments um, play dates or even you know special occasion um, days at nursery which I unfortunately tend to forget Um, struggling with paperwork opening letters you know keeping on top of bills regular payments you know those sort of things are all big big struggles Um, and then ah, what else (laughs) (laughs) Um, not being uh, often zoning out you know for example when you play with your child you might have little bursts of where you're very actively engaged but then you quickly find yourself distracted by other things you zone out you you kind of become almost understimulated by repetition um you know when there's repetitive tasks struggling with routine is a big one as well um there's a lot of things (laughs) yeah that's quite that's a quite the exhaustive list i think <laughs> that it's really useful because i think there will be a lot of people listening that yeah. that suspect or don't haven't got a diagnosis or and i think that will point them in the right direction and it, i think it's yeah. the i saw a post and it, mm. it made me quite sad because it was about parenting with adhd and mm. there was a clear consensus in the comments that or, or the most common comment I saw was somebody thinking that they were a bad parent because mm, of the yeah. emotional dysregulation and because they maybe forgot an appointment or they shouted at their child or yeah. they they're aware that their child heard an argument mm-hmm. and, and that and the guilt that that leads to and and the the um, regret. So I guess the question is, is that something you've experienced? And do you have any advice for someone who might be in that moment Absolutely. of regret? Yes, um, it's actually another common symptom that especially mums with ADHD experience, possibly dads as well. But I heard, I've read that about mums, um, that we often compare ourselves to other mums and feel like we're falling short in in almost all areas. There's a lot of guilt and shame involved in that because, you know, you struggle with things that you don't want to struggle with. You know, you forget birthday parties, you forget those gifts, you, you know, maybe don't hear your child shouting that they're finished with the toilet. <laughs> you know, it's those sort of moments. But um, what I would strongly, strongly advise is trying to, first acknowledge and realize that you are 
feeling currently negative feelings about yourself you have negative thoughts they still creep up for me as well uh, especially when something bad has happened I mean the other day I forgot a gift um, that my daughter made for another boy at nursery um, to kind of say um, look you're not alone it was a very sweet gesture <laughs> and um, and I forgot it uh, I forgot it at home and I felt so bad and I felt so dysregulated and I I found myself getting quite uh, frustrated and angry and I snapped at her a little bit and I felt bad and I noticed very quickly afterwards or that because I've been practicing that that I've um I was one feeling guilty and ashamed of having forgotten that thing and two that I snapped at her false wrongly I mean yes I was dysregulated but you know I felt like I shouldn't have snapped at her so I told her that and for me that's one of the biggest biggest things we're not perfect we all make mistakes we all you know get dysregulated sometimes it's one about forgiving yourself for that and then two letting your child know that you know maybe it was wrong to shout or or saying look I'm sorry mummy shouted <laughs> I shouldn't have shouted maybe next time I'll take a deep breath you know those sort of things and maybe you you're not able to do that um but by apologizing I find to your child for having been dysregulated you you model a few different things one you once you you model for one um uh, that you know you make mistakes to what you do after you've made a mistake, you say, you apologize. And three, you model to them what they could maybe do instead of shouting when they feel frustrated, um, you know, by saying what things usually help you. And then on top of that, um, but you're not always in that state. When I'm dysregulated, I can't just say, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so firstly, I have to identify that I feel dysregulated and then monitor my thoughts and yeah again a lot of the times feelings of guilt and shame come up and then um, validating again my thoughts and feelings you know saying it's okay to not feel okay right now it's okay to feel um, overwhelmed uh, angry those sort of things um, but it doesn't make me a bad parent I'm still a great parent regardless you know my daughter feels loved that's that's all she needs and it's okay to not be perfect at all times and then kind of allow myself to you know feel those feelings because a lot of the times we try to push away those negative feelings because nobody wants to feel negative feelings but by pushing them away actually sometimes makes them worse and by but by giving yourself grace that can be in itself quite regulating and then once I feel like I'm accepting myself more again like accepting and forgiving myself um, with the difficulties that I've had, I can then use the strategies to further regulate myself, such as, you know, breathing, using smells, using textures, those sort of things. Yeah. So there's there's a whole array of, of different things that you might be able to do that to to help with your dysregulation in the moment and then to repair afterwards. Mm, that's super helpful. And I think it's um, particularly poignant for for this conversation is it's a, sometimes it's, it's just think breaking down what you said and this this the simplest things like just giving the, the acceptance and the awareness of, of yeah. what's happened and having an understanding of why you responded in a certain way so you can go slightly easier on yourself yes. and you don't and that can alleviate the shame and, and, and the guilt because there, there's a reason out of your control why that's happening yeah because with emotional dysregulation, often actually there is um, a certain miscommunication almost within the brain. Um, so there's a part of your brain that monitors your response to certain things um, that, you know, monitors, reflects and changes your response. And there's then the other part of the brain that feels those feelings and that can trigger certain responses. And um, the part that regulates your response to things, um, there's, isn't very good at communicating with the other part of the brain um, that is there to kind of put out those behaviors and feelings um, in the moment when you're feeling dysregulated. So yeah, it often then turns out that you have a response that might be seen as disproportionate to the cause or to the trigger. 
Um, but there's in the moment, there's not a lot that you can do, unfortunately, because it literally your brain is just it's trying, <laughs> but it's not quite getting there by regulating yourself and being like in, in being uh, logical or, or kind of reasonable, quote unquote, um, you know, with your response. Um, you feel those feelings and those feelings are, you know, they are going to be felt, um, you know there's not not a lot that you can do in that moment and it's 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 not your fault <laughs> it's about then kind of learning how you how you let out those feelings um and how to get over those feelings um yeah it's so true because i think of when that response to a say rejection happens and mm-hmm. that internalized rage comes in like when you're in that moment during that 20 minutes or half an hour or sometimes a ho- you know half a day yeah. afterwards then you don't really have control over how you're reacting to it and you no, can absolutely p- pretend to be rational and and to have a back and forth with the person or the situation that caused mm-hmm. it but really you're just not thinking straight absolutely and so it, which is why it's so important to just validate your feelings sit in them you know and and learn different ways to let out those feelings rather than for example shouting um you know from from being a a mother and the i'm thinking of i i struggle to plan my own meal times and my own schedule Mm -hmm. and you know the thought of of having to do that and also be responsible for another human being that makes me anxious um (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and you know i I, my my uh traits i would say are fairly stable throughout mm-hmm. the month they're very they're quite predictable and I, I can manage mm-hmm. them I, through how I've learned to over my life with 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 women and after you've had a child and, and with the menstrual cycle does do you still go through those peaks and troughs with depending on where you are yeah absolutely and um, just and in, in the funny thing is um well it's not actually funny <laughs> um the 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 issue really is uh, a lot of the times um with ADHD we have um difficulties with something that's called passive processing again it's got to do with the part of your brain that is there to monitor reflect and change behaviors depending on the situation so i often don't connect certain bits until like, for example, I have my period. <laughs> um, so a lot of the times I'll feel, um, I'll have some days where I'm really emotional um, and then feel very, very quickly dysregulated and I snap quickly, you know, I or cry quickly or I'm very quickly tense or, you know, those sort of things. And a lot of those times, um, those symptoms are always a few days before my period but for some reason whilst I'm in that state I never I never think oh yeah that's the reason (laughs) um so yeah there's there's obviously there's still difficulties with that um with a with a monthly cycle but then you also have many many unexpected uh, situations happening in your day I think um it's fair to say when when you're a parent no day is very much like the day before um so there's a lot of unexpected changes which which can in itself be quite triggering at times um and yeah sorry i just lost track of where i was going with this. <laughs> <laughs> no no thank you so much it's, it's super fascinating and you know from someone who isn't a parent i feel like i'm already learning a lot from you um is there anything else because this was one of the, the mm. topics that is is constantly requested that I cover, um, and I, I'm not a parent, as I've said, mm. and I just don't want to. I want to make sure that I give it justice, and I don't 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 leave anything out. Is there anything that you think that you would like to to talk about? I think um, it's just really really important. I feel like to recognize when you might need support when you might need additional support um, and not just recognize that but actually ask for support and because often we have rejection sensitive dysphoria we tend to not want to ask for support because we fear that there's going to be judgment if we ask for support Um, but truth be told every parent will need support one 
at a time you know but especially if you've got ADHD you're so much more prone to you know being burnt out as we talked about earlier um to feeling overstimulated those sort of things so if there is anyone that you can ask for support um or even if it's going to professionals I think that would be very very valuable um apart from obviously you know giving yourself some grace uh, trying different tools and allowing yourself to use tools that might help you with certain things, certain aspects such as, you know, oversimulation or organization things. and but, but planning for obstacles to happen, planning for that routines won't always look the same and that's okay. Um, bedtime won't always be at 7pm. Sometimes I've, I've, then to accept, for example, that, you know, my daughter goes to bed any time between 6 and 8 p.m. And that's fine. That's a totally acceptable window. And I've accepted that. It doesn't have to be every single day that you're on the dot. I mean, we often have, um, I read the other day, the reason why we uh, with ADHD often struggle with routines is because we have that often that that misconception that routines often they always have to look the same but they don't actually always have to look the same there can be variation in every single routine as long as the outcome is the same <laughs> um so allowing yourself to have variations as well to kind of plan in things that will make your day a little bit less lonely less isolating less overwhelming you know if you've got to use screen time do use screen time <laughs> you know by all means um yeah I already feel like I am much more equipped if I ever become a parent. I think it's, for the listeners, I imagine this has been super helpful. Where can people find you, Geraldine, if they want to follow you? Um, I've got, uh, my my social media channel is called cherry.adhd. So Brilliant. you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok under that name. <laughs> I'll link all of that on the show notes underneath. Um, gosh, yeah. I mean, this has been this has been fascinating for me, uh, Geraldine. I I have genuinely learned so much, and I can see how what you've said can be applied. And I, the I, I it's funny that I relate because the only, the only thing I can relate to is being a uh, a dog owner, and I know that's in no way comparable. Um, but I'm going to take some of what you've said. There's still absolutely responsibility in that. And actually, I learned often the reason why symptoms may become amplified after you become a parent is because of those added responsibilities. So, you know, the more responsibilities you have, the more your struggles are going to be apparent. It's, it's fascinating. And I think, um, yeah, super excited to get this episode out. Geraldine. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much as well. And I'm I'm sorry, this is, I know this has been a lot, but still at the same time, not enough. I'm, I'm very sure I've forgotten to mention several like, very important bits as you do with ADHD. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's more to it, I'm sure. I, I know. <laughs> I'll yeah. make sure that your profiles are linked underneath because you, you, you put out content around this topic, a lot of it. And yes. uh, I think if people want to find out more then there's a ton of information that they can find and thank you Geraldine so much for your time thank you thanks so much it was a pleasure <laughs> mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.